Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Startup Sales Podcast. We're going to be speaking today with Saba Najand. And Saba has been a longtime uh, leader in the sales space for B2B tech companies, and he's also been an independent contributor. And so he comes with a lot of experience. Uh, we're going to be talking about being a good leader through empathy, what type of salespeople to hire, different kind of interview questions that you could be asking to to figure out what kind of people you're hiring, and also some good, really good advice for new managers and how to how to become a new manager and how to fit into that role really well. So really excited for this. Uh, it's going to a lot of information, and I hope you enjoy. Also, while you're here, if you're looking to build your sales team and you scale the sales team and you need help with that, feel free to reach out to us. We're at startupsales.io. At startupsales.io, and this is what we're do here to do is uh, to help companies uh, build and scale their sales processes. Let's get into today's episode with Saba. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, everybody. Before we get started in this episode, I know that you're eager to get going, but I wanted to ask for your help. We want to get the word out there more that uh, this podcast exists. So if you're finding value in this and you really are enjoying this, would you mind please sharing this with your colleagues or putting it on social media as much as you can so that we get the word out there and we could continue to deliver more and more content like this? Really appreciate your help and uh, thank you very much. All right, Saba, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and, and why we should listen to you? <laughs> sure. Uh, so my name is Saba Najand. Uh, I'm a vice president of sales at a company called Work Genius. Um, so I've been in basically startups my whole career. Uh, this is my sixth startup now and from seed fund to IPO and everything in between. So I've seen quite a bit um, in my time and tenure and one thing that I love doing is building and scaling sales teams and helping sales professionals grow to be successful and, and you know move up in their career. So super excited to be here today. And one of the things that I that I love to talk about is you know the inevitable changes that uh, startups go through and and how we as sales professionals and just sales leaders can grow and learn from it. Wow. So what's the biggest difference you see between uh, an early stage startup and uh, getting ready for IPO? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, early stage startup, of course, you're, you're wearing multiple hats. Um, you just figure it out as you go. Um, you know, one day you'll be the salesperson. Another day you can be in marketing, you know, just helping out the marketing team with demand jam. The other day, you know, you just have to do everything. And the amount of hours you put in, the amount of pressure that is on you, it's all part of being a startup. And then you just have to figure it out. And I think that's really important for especially folks that have just started start uh, have either founders that have just started their companies or sales professionals who are joining startups it's just you know you're not at like the oracles and and, and the sales forces right um, yeah. these these are companies where 
there might not be a pitch deck. So you have to create one on your own and start from there. And then, of course, as you're preparing for IPO, you know, some would say there's more red tape. There's more processes in place. It's, it's become standardized. Uh, you know, you have multiple departments that you can lean on to, you know, help be, be successful. And of course, you know, looking into different market strategies now. In the beginning, you're pretty much going after any and all companies to get to get your brand out there to bring in the logos as you become more mature organization you start having more focused sales so whether it's enterprise or mid-market in the financial industries and so forth so it, it really comes down to you know the strengths of the business and and where the company's trying to head to but going into ipo it, it comes into things come into play like the sales playbooks. Um, so yeah. you have a sales enablement team, uh, you know, things that like we don't think about when we're in an early stage uh, organization. Absolutely. There's one of the things you said though, is, um, you know, when you get to a larger scale, you start to divide who you target. So you'll have a team that goes for enterprise. You'll have a team that goes for this. You know, I've seen so many times that uh, earlier stage companies will try to do that themselves. At yes. that early stage, yes. I think that's the biggest mistake. Have you seen this? Uh, yes, <laughs> it's probably every company that I've been a part of, and every startup. It's like, all right, we need to go after the big logos, get our names out there. But you know, we don't have the processes in place. We may not be SOC two compliant yet. You know, and, and yeah. regulated with the software, and all of a sudden you get in front of some key decision makers at a Fortune five hundred company, and you can't uh, represent yourself and the company, and they hang up on you. <laughs> and so, and and, and then you burn it. Then they don't want to talk you, to you, even when you, you are ready. You're absolutely right. And then you're like, oh wait, you're Saba from that from XYZ company. Wait, we just talked. I don't think you know it's the right time. So you really need to have be prepared. You need to understand your competitors, what they're using, what our prospects are using. It's just a lot of things that goes into play. Uh, if you don't have the right salespeople in place, you know, if you have a transactional minded salesperson who is really just about getting in front of people and, you know, the demo to close concept, if you will, versus, you know, a org chart management sale where you have to go through multiple key decision makers in an organization before you even get a demo or before you even get a meeting. And these are the things that some founders and, and um, sales departments just don't get early on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what, what's the elevator pitch for the company that you're working at now? What, yeah. what do you guys do? So WorkGenius is an AI-enabled digital workforce solution. So what we do is we provide companies with a team of vetted professionals to deliver quality project results on demand. So, And then there's a technology platform to manage them seamlessly. So taking AI and helping with the auto-vetting and bringing in top talented freelancers to organizations that are in need of projects, um, ongoing projects, immediate projects, and so forth. That sounds pretty cool. And how big is your sales team now? Yeah, so the way the company is set up, so the company's been around for actually six years. They're based out of um, Hamburg, Germany. So it's been a full sales engine for a while now. However, about a year and a half ago, our uh, our CEO moved to New York to start uh, uh, penetrating the U.S. and North American market. And, so the, and that's where I come in. So right now we have six SDRs and two account executives and growing. So really small team. And then one thing we just alluded to, like we're trying to figure out what our go-to-market is. And in the beginning, it was about big logos and enterprise. And now as I joined, we decided to take a new strategy and approach and, and focus on mid-market and smaller organizations that um, are, are in need of services and products like ours. 
That's really heavy on the SDRs. You have six SDR yeah. and two AE. Yeah. So um, I'm hiring AEs if you know anyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. So we're able to uh, scale quickly on the SDR side. And I think for me, it's really important as my first sales hire at this organization to, you know, be picky and bring in the right salesperson that's going to fit kind of what we just talked about, an early stage organization that can wear multiple hats, has a level of grit. So I'm being a little picky right now. So hopefully we'll get to the six and three uh, ratio pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really tough to find salespeople that are good for that early stage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. When you're looking now, what are you looking for? Yeah, so a great question. I think it, it comes down to, uh, there's numerous factors, but uh, for me, I look for someone who's passionate and disciplined. So they plan in advance, they're methodical, they manage their pipeline and book a business like they're, like they're, they are their own business owner and entrepreneur. You know, unfortunately, there are folks that have one or the other, meaning they're either managing pipeline and they're not methodical or they're passionate and not disciplined and someone who's conscientious and, and knows that coming into an organization like Work Genius, where um, they have to essentially um, figure some stuff out on their own and not really lean on full processes and, and the things that we're working on today. So I like to think of an analogy, and I know you, I've heard this on your podcast before, you know, the art of the sale versus the science of the sale. So yeah. You know, we're really simple. Like you need to have both. The art, art aspect of uh, of the sale is, you know, you're charismatic, you're networking, you're building relationships. You know, it's all the things that that come with the art of the sale. And then, of course, there's the science. So knowing exactly how much you need in your pipeline is very data driven approach, and it's a pendulum. So a, a strong sales professional who's consistent uh, kind of moves the pendulum from art to science, and the ones that lean heavy towards one um, or the other are the ones that are, in my opinion, not consistent or, you know, are, are not hitting their targets on a regular basis. So that's really important to me, someone who gets both aspects of the uh, of sales. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you on you can't have just one or the other, yeah. I think, but that might not be the case with transactional sales. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think... I, with transactional, it's it's something. I think where it's you, only science there. Yeah, I, it, it's definitely only science. But if you're if I would I would only push back and say like if you're trying to close business as quick as possible, like you need to hit all cylinders. Like you, you need yeah. to quickly build a rapport, quickly build a relationship with this person. You know, quote unquote, is giving you their credit card over their phone, or if this is a thirty day sales cycle, you need to build trust quickly and then just focus on the science, which means I need to have you know, for example. 10 meetings a week that are going to convert to, you know, four opportunities that are going to, and one of those are going to close, you know, every month type thing and, 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 and have that cadence, but also know that like, you got to build trust quickly. Now, uh, to your point, when you're focusing on more strategic accounts, you know, there's a lot more relationship-based selling and the art aspect as well. So it would really, like I said, it's like the pendulum that swings back and forth and sometimes it will be more art than sale. Yeah. And then I like to I like to think about someone who again this goes back to early stage is a chameleon you know they're adaptable in both sides so where you have to roll with the punches be laser focused as I mentioned this before this is something that I've I've talked to you know early stage founders um, when I'm doing mentoring and office hours or folks that are just either right out of school or, or or joining startups for the first time. Change is inevitable and both sides. And at an organization one day, I'm, I'm going to come into the office and say, hey, our focus is going to be uh, mid-market and fintech. 
And then two weeks later, I'm going to have a strategy meeting with leadership and say, you know what, guys, we changed plans. We're going to go after this industry. And sometimes we just have to do that. And that's just inevitable. And then on the sales side, as as you know all too well, Adam, is uh, sometimes the deals get lost. Um, sometimes, um, you know, things change at the organizations and you have to be able to adapt to that and not take it personally. And so someone who's adaptable and is a chameleon, both in an organization and in their sales um, business. How do you find if somebody is has these traits? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say like kind of some question, like trigger question. So like talk to me about, um, you know, a deal that you lost recently. And, and I want to hear, you know, how they handled it. You know, things like, you know, I, I focused on these areas and for some reason the deal fell through. Let's say the decision maker left the organization. So they took all their knowledge and, and what they learned and decided to not give up and, and, and get into their feelings and use this as a learning moment. Um, and I think that's really powerful and something that I did early on in my sales career and which I can touch on uh, at a later point is just listening to my calls and really digging into who my prospects are, who are the people I'm talking to. So really having a postmortem, if you will, um, is, is super important. And then also talking about things like specific um, situational questions, like if you missed your target for this quarter, like what are the things that you know you did right or wrong that quarter that you can change next? And I want to hear them talk about themselves and how they are sympathetic to, you know, maybe themselves for a little bit, but also realize that, you know, this is a business and it's, and you have to figure out um, what you've done right and what you've done wrong and move on with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't sit there and cry about it. Yeah, and exactly. It. <laughs> and, and sometimes, you know, when you're at a bigger organization or somewhere where there's a lot of processes in place, like you're getting leads fed to you, right? There's inbounds coming in. You have a massive uh, SDR engine uh, outbounds and, 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 you know, your CEO is, is a darling in, uh, of the industry and they're talking everywhere. So you're getting a ton of leads so you can quickly move on. But at a small organization, leads are uh, very precious and, and you want to make sure <laughs> yeah. you want to make sure that you handle it with the utmost care yeah and so that's important to to find out what kind of sales cycles they came from what kind of processes yes. that company had in place it's not just about the person itself it's about what their experience comes from and the companies that they came from when yeah. when you're hiring well said. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, looking for like, for example, an early stage organization like ours. Uh, you know, I can't go after folks that have been at Oracle for ten years or Salesforce or the bigger companies like Looker because they are coming from more established organizations and they might be rock stars there and you know, presidents club every year, but they may not fit that mold that you know that I need right now at the stage where uh, our business is. Absolutely, and they don't have the support either that they're used to to lean You're on. Right. Well said. Well yeah. said. So let's move on from this. What what are some of the tools that you are using now in this early stage sales process? Yeah, so pretty standard. Um, so right now we have, of course, Salesforce.com to manage our CRM and, and, and our uh, contacts. Um, we use SalesLoft um, for our prospecting. Um, so as I mentioned a little bit, we're very outbound heavy. So we're focusing on the traditional routes of top of funnel activity, email cadences, you know, one thing that I found out really early on when I joined was that, um, you know, that was some of our challenges. We were missing our numbers. It was low activity. We were very email heavy. So I decided to take the old school approach of, you know, picking up the phone and uh, yeah, and utilizing LinkedIn. And so a sales, for, sales loft has been really instrumental in that for us. And then Zoom Info, of course, to um, scrub and, 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 and get our data, PandaDoc for our contract management, and then uh, LinkedIn Navigator. So those are kind of the, so far the tools that we're using. 
I love that you're using Panadoc and or one of those things. So many people don't use these services uh, in sales. And they're amazing because it really makes things so easy and so so quick, especially on the legal side when there's so many things that could go wrong. Absolutely, you know, like we can't you can't be sending legal terms through email anymore. So like yeah. <laughs> it has to be some kind of a tool that you're using to manage and track it professionally. Yeah. The you said that you're outbound heavy, yeah. and you you were sending a lot of emails. And then you you weren't getting the responses, and this happens so much. And yes. I know myself when I'm working, and I, I hate I hate getting on the phone, but you kind of have to do it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but so, what kind of results did you see once you started picking up the phone? Yeah, uh, great question. So yeah, exactly. I mean, that was a big challenge, right? Uh, as I mentioned, we're missing our numbers. Um, we're focusing heavily on email that is not as personalized in our cadences, and we're just sending out, you know. Uh, Two, three thousand emails a week um, per SCR, and just not getting um, a return there. So, I think, like I said, it's just I created a system where it's just um, it's a lot of folks are doing this. You just mandatory calls a day, and you know some of the best times to call. Obviously, nine to five is the best time to call uh, someone, but you know there's certain areas that we found, and and through some research that from eleven in the morning till. 12 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern time and 4, 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern time are usually the higher response rates. So we have mandatory called blitzes in those two slots where you're not doing anything else but making calls. And then from there throughout the day, I'm encouraging additional phone conversations and, and the conversions, you know, we're still growing and we have a bunch of new SDRs, but we've had somewhere around a 20, 30% increase in meetings booked just because we were spending more time on the phone. And it's, it's just so important to, to go back to that. You know, there are folks on LinkedIn talking about the new rules that are coming out with the robo-dialers and how that's helping and we should be getting back on the phone. I totally agree. Um, it, it's, it's the most old school way, but probably the best way to get in front of people, in my opinion. Absolutely. I, I've seen so many times an outbound campaign where you're just sending emails out and nothing happens. And what's really great with these sales loft or outreach, these tools is you could actually see opens and then yes. you could actually set it to trigger. Okay. This person opened the email, call them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> now you have a reason. Hey, I just sent you an email. Did you get it? Yeah, cool. Let's talk about it. Exactly. Uh, it's such an easy open. It, it makes it no longer a cold call. It's Luke. I mean, it's still very cold, but it's a yeah. little bit more on the warm <laughs> it's a side. Bit warmer, exactly. Yeah. You, you um, have a reason to call now. <laughs> exactly, and you know, it's it's creating it creates this culture, right? So you have, you know, we have the new SDRs that have just joined. So you know, they're fresh, they're hungry, they're ready to hit the phones and get going. And then you have some of maybe the more tenured folks that haven't had much success, and you know, they haven't spent a lot of time on the phone. And now we're having success, and people are on the phone, and it's fun when you hear someone hang up on you and you laugh at them. And you're like, all right, great job. Now get back and do it again type thing. And now they're seeing the energy and and they're like, oh, you know what? This is actually going to work. And then they start picking up the phone. So it's a really great environment where you're not just sitting there staring at your cadences, <laughs> sending emails. So Yeah. What do you do? I mean, maybe you haven't come across this in, in your team, but maybe in a previous company. Since you have like mandatory calls and, and things like that. What do you do when you have a, a top performer that's not making those calls but are still exceeding their numbers? Yeah, that's a great question. I am a firm believer in, you know, whatever works for you, keep rolling with it. And, you know, everyone has different styles and some will have will have some more success versus on email versus telephone and some will have more success uh, with LinkedIn Navigator. 
I, I'm a firm believer whatever's working and, and bringing in uh, meetings and, and revenue, go ahead and do that. However, I will pull aside these top performers and just essentially just tell them like as a top performer, as someone who everyone look up looks up to, you know, you should be a team player. You know, if, if it's 50 calls a day, you know, give me 25 and show that show them that even you as a top performer will get on the phone. And and I think it's really important whether you are 200% a goal um, or 50% a goal um, on a monthly quarterly basis that you should be getting on the phone. And that's kind of the conversation that I'm having and, and how these young sales professionals who are really successful need to need to have this perception at their current organizations or moving forward when they get into leadership. Yeah. All right. So as a leader slash manager, what's been your biggest challenge in being a manager? Sure. <laughs> you know, how much time do we have? Um, but <laughs> no, I, I would say to me, there's two things that stand out. One is managing the stress and the pressure of a manager and the leader. So uh, that's just sim- simple, right? You have you know, there's, there's people's livelihood that fall on your responsibility. You have a group of folks that you will have to manage. There's numbers you have to manage up to your manager, manage down to um, folks that you know report to you and, and cross departmental. There's a lot going on, I, and I think as a sales leader, sometimes you feel like you're on your island. Uh, you're on your own island. You know, if if marketing is giving you leads and they're not converting, it's probably sales's fault, right? If you have outbound and 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 deals aren't converting and closing, it's it's gonna it's gonna fall on you. At least that's how I like to think about it. Yeah. Um, and so how I overcome and came this part of of, uh, of management is having strict calendar blocks and and I think it's really important to be disciplined with your calendars and I take and I say this from the s from my SDRs to the directors and above um, blocking out calendars specifically for your day-to-day will help manage some of that stress because you are focused on specific parts of your day-to-day versus just like ad hoc jumping from one task to another, you know, how are the calls going here? Or, you know, let's talk about pipeline management. Just having a very regimented uh, schedule helps. Um, I think outside of work, spending time with family, um, clearing my mind, exercising, and then taking cold showers. (laughs) That usually (laughs) helps for me um, to manage the stress. And at the end of the day, just realizing that, um, you know, life's not that serious and we have to have fun. And whether um, whether it's during the good times or the bad times, um, you know, you have to have fun. And just know that, uh, you know, life isn't just about, uh, you know, your numbers and the data. And, you know, some founders are going to are gonna listen to this and be like, don't say that um, over a <laughs> podcast. But it, it's really important to have that balance in life. And if you're happy at home and you're healthy um, mentally and physically, um, you know. You'll do better honestly, at work. Exactly. Everything else mm-hmm. will fall into place. So it's really important. Yeah. And then the second, uh, I think the biggest challenge for me, as an early uh, manager leader till even now is wanting to do everything myself and, and becoming that crutch to the team where, you know, if I see a salesperson who just is, is on a call and, and they're maybe <laughs> not having the best conversation, I'll jump in and, and, and start talking and essentially taking over or just anything along the lines where I feel like I have to prove to them that this is how it works. And that's not the best approach for a sales manager. I think it's important to jump in when needed and it's important to show and and lead by example, but I think it's more important by trusting more, by focusing on coaching and training your team. And then honestly, the last part is letting them fail. I think 
what my managers and leaders did to, did for me as, as I moved up in my sales career is, um, you know, letting me get on a call and just butchering it or, yeah. you know, letting a deal fall through that not necessarily might, might, have, might not have been a massive contract, but something that as a business were okay, you know, letting go for the time being. And then coming back and being like, what did you learn from that? You know, what could you have done better? And letting them fail is probably one of like, I would say uh, my top priorities as a manager and, and the leader is, is to let my team do that. Yeah, I think that's so important. You know, you give boundaries like, okay, here, here's like a hard wall on the left. Here's a hard wall on the right. But you, you go for it. Like uh, you bounce between those walls as much as you want. But uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Boundaries are very important. I won't let you fail if you're on a Fortune 500 call with a decision maker. Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, exactly within boundaries. Well, even if you're on a Fortune 500 call with a decision maker, you know, like they, they got it that far to get that call. They're doing something right. They're, they're probably not going to yeah. fuck it up too bad. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Good yeah. point. And, and so they're going to be a lot more comfortable knowing that they have your trust to keep moving forward instead of uh, feeling like, oh, oh shit, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a mistake and I'm going to lose yeah. my job over this. Sure. That's, that's a very good point. And um, you know, that's something that especially with early stage, you know, the founders, the CEOs, they're like, no, just let's get the deals. And, you know, everything becomes an emergency and, and, and a panic if something goes wrong. And we just got to realize that it's okay. It's okay for it to go wrong. It's okay to figure it out and let, you know, let some of the folks fail a little bit. And yeah. even for me, like I put a lot of, um, you know, sometimes I'm really hard on myself and I just, I, and I take a step back and say, you know what? I'm the VP of sales. I'm, I'm the head of sales of, of the business and I don't know everything and that's okay. And I can, it's okay to go to my CEO who I report to and say, you know what, Marlon? Um, yeah, I have no idea how to do this. So can we figure it out together? And I need yeah. to, I, and you just said, that's okay. That's absolutely okay. Absolutely. I do that all the time. If there's, <laughs> e even if it's something I know the answer to, I just want a second opinion sometimes. Yeah, totally. You know, and, and it's and it's good to be able to bounce ideas off of other people. Even yeah. if you're the sales expert, like other people have a different angle and see it in a different way than you do. Exactly. And I think that really like it, it, that helps your relationship with the person you're reporting to, and in this case the CEO, and just knows that like, you know, I'm not here to have all the answers, but I'm here to, you know, get others' perspectives and, and figure it out together. So yeah. super important. I want to go back to something you said before sure. about time blocking. Yep. I I used to do this uh, religiously back when I was full-time employee. <laughs> but one company, I remember, used to actually get really upset with me for it because then wow. there's because what happens if they want to have a meeting during that time? Right. And then my calendar's closed and I'm closed off and I'm not being they they viewed it as not being a team player. So the reason why I bring it up is because I want all the founders and people out there that are listening now to understand <laughs> that this is a very good thing. You, as head of sales or even as down to SDR and anything in between, their job is to generate revenue, not sit in meetings. Yes. And let absolutely. them generate revenue. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I, I have, I've had that same experience where, you know, I'll, I'll, in my, as an example, in my calendar block, you know, I like to come home and obviously spend time with my wife and family and, and relax and then maybe get back on the computer, finish some tasks. But I specifically put blocks, for example, from 7 to 9 p.m. On my calendar, it says family time. Yeah. And unless it's an emergency, I don't want to do any work. I turn off my Slack notifications, uh, nothing. And then from 9 to, you know, for 10 to 10.30, 
I'll be available for a conversation or, you know, sending a Slack in here or there. And, and I'm really strict with that. And same thing, like, I don't need to be in meetings. Just get me in front of people, get my team in front of people and prospects. Like we, we don't need to talk about the third strategy meeting that we've had this week. So uh, <laughs> totally, totally on the same page yeah. as you. I think it's so important to block the personal time as well. Like you, like you're saying, totally. I, I had a team and what we did is I made it Wednesday was an early day. Everybody goes home. Everybody wow. goes home and, and spends time. You come in a little bit earlier, but then you right. go home a little bit earlier and you spend time with your family. And I love that. Love it, was, that. it was like uh, it, we, we all did it on Wednesday. That was our, our day. And it was, it was great. And everybody enjoys it so much better. Uh, you know, you feel more revived when you come back. You, you know, you don't feel like you're missing out with your family when you're there at work because you do have that time blocked away. That's pretty great. I think I may I may steal that from you. Just uh, take a note here. So. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, what's something you do as a leader that uh, that you think is unique and really sets you apart as a as a good leader? Yeah, great question. So I don't know how unique this is, but I think it's really really important. And I know that most sales leaders are not doing that, and that's uh, empathy. You know, a lot of sales leaders are. They're out of touch, you know, whether they just because they haven't been an individual contributor for a long time or, you know, so caught up with strategy and, and focusing, working with leadership and, and that they're just not part of the day to day. And that's really, really, really important to have empathy uh, with your sales team because you've been there and, and know that like sometimes it's, it's, it's a tough gig uh, and not everyone can do it. And that's why it can be so lucrative. And I ha and that there's a very specific example that I think about to this day. So I, I moved into a management role very early in my career and, you know, number one, very proud of that. But number two, I had a lot of failures. I made a lot of mistakes, you know, not just only because I could have probably had better resources, training and support, you know, yada, yada, but it's more about like, my immaturity levels and not being a manager and having to report to, you know, having people that were my counterparts and friends um, reporting to me, you know, a lot of reasons why I failed. So I took a big risk uh, at one point in my career and, and I actually decided to go from a director and back to an, an individual contributor for almost two years. There was people that gave me advice, mentors that said that might not be the best, best move, but I saw it like this, that it was really important for me to get back into the grind, if you will. Um, and, and I would say that that was an uh, that time was really instrumental to my success as a, a current sales leader. I got back into the day to day grind of an IC. I loved everything about it. Like it, it helped me go back to my roots, if you will, yeah. and understand what makes an account executive successful. Um, and, and you know, I not only gained a lot of success, but I gained a, a ton of knowledge and experience of what a successful account executive looks like, what they do, what their habits are. And, and I was able to take that back into, you know, my management roles, my leadership roles. And until uh, this day, you know, I can sit in a room with an SDR and tell them like, hey, I've been there. I was an SDR for a <laughs> year. It was terrible, but you have to do it and hear the reasons why. Yeah. And I can sit down with an account executive and say like, look, you didn't have a great month. Here's how we're going to get you to um, to be better next month or next quarter because I was there. Um, and, and then also deals like someone comes to me and says, hey, I'm with fortune 500 company how do we approach this great let me tell you about the times when i did that or i'm with a mid-market company that has no money how do we do this right so it's really the empathy and and, and the experience of a of being part of an as an individual contributor so i would say that's something that i i think um, i do differently that a lot of sales leaders aren't doing these days 
Yeah, I think that's a it's a common mistake. I don't know how common it is. I've seen it a few times where sure. companies will hire somebody straight out of college with an MBA to run a sales team, and it's like, what? Okay, they know business numbers, and but they don't actually have any practical knowledge, and yep. and they don't have any sales experience. Now you want them to manage a sales team, and and wow, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, I was right, and you know that was kind of my experience. Is like I was doing really well, company was going really quickly, and they're like, okay, so now you're going to be a team lead, and then three months later you're a director. I'm like, oh, this is great. I have no idea what I'm doing and no idea how to manage people. So let's just give it a shot. So. <laughs> great. Uh, what's your favorite book for sales or leadership? Oh, wow. I don't know if I have a one favorite book, but you know, there's the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People uh, by Stephen Covey. I, I, I live and die by that book. I just picked up the Sales Acceleration Formula with Mark Ruberge, and I know he was on your show uh, recently, and I am super fascinated by this book so far. Yeah, I read that when I first got into management and uh, it was a terrific book, uh, kind of a how-to for me to get things get up and running. Yeah, it's definitely so far has been a great refresher, but um, and then I'm also learning a lot of new things. But like Predictable Revenue, Aaron Ross, uh, Never Split the Difference, The Challenger Sale. I think uh, these are books like, you know, that kind of circulate around the sales um, business world. Um, you know, these are the ones that I really enjoy. And then, you know, sometimes I like to just focus on, you know, fictions. And, you know, I'm reading um, American Gods right now, and that's a good way for me to like kind of clear my mind when I'm taking the subway home. But those are some of the sales books that I've read and, and enjoyed over my career. All right. Who's somebody that you follow for sales or leadership advice? Yeah. Um, so Jeremy Donovan, GM and SVP at Sales Loft, he is, I don't understand how he manages his time because he always puts amazing content and he's just everywhere <laughs> in LinkedIn and other social platforms. And he's just a great mind. And this is, I'm quoting him, he's a data nerd. And, and I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and he was one of the first people I reached out to when I joined Work Genius um, as VP of Sales. And just to, number one, excited that we were using Sales Loft, but also just knowing that, um, you know, he would be an amazing resource. And then um, some folks that are more on like the high level, like Jake Dunlap um, you know, at Scale Consulting out of Austin. Um, he was one of my early mentors and he just brings a really interesting and fun perspective to sales and just thought leadership. And those folks at Gong, Chris Orlob, Devin Reed, really awesome content out there. Uh, those are some of the folks off the top of my head that I, that I think about. Okay. What's one piece of advice that you have for all, all new managers coming out into the sales world? <laughs> um, I would say is um, you're not going to have all the answers um, and it's okay. And I think we just, obviously we just talked about this it's, it, and it's okay. You're not going to have all the answers. Ask, do your research. Google is a powerful tool. There's so much content out there. The reading, like People have done this before many, many times over and have been really successful. You should take advantage of that because you're not going to know that and, and grow for yourself and, and, and become better by learning and reading and taking care of um, you first and foremost. And I know you said one, so I'm saying like three, obviously. <laughs> and then the last one I would say is again, like, don't take, don't take it so seriously. But I will, okay, so I'm going to stop now because I have like 10 more I want to tell you. <laughs> go, go for them. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, now you put me under pressure. It's not really 10 more. So. <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for coming on the show with us today. Uh, I lost track of time here and I uh, really think that there's a lot here to, to learn from. How could people reach out to you and learn more about you or get more, uh, be able to connect with you. 
Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Adam. This was awesome, and I uh, really appreciate your time. Um, yeah, the easiest way to get a hold of me is on LinkedIn. It's, it's just um, Saba Najand, and that's N A Z H A N D is the last name. And yeah, that's the easy and best way. I'm I'm on there all the time, whether it's for um, outreach, prospecting, um, building relationships, or just um, uh, just soaking in the content. So uh, that'll be the best way. Great. All right, Saba. Thanks so very much for joining us. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. 